Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, 1001 listeners. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we have a blast from the past for you. Two episodes from our 2019 show, The 1001 History Challenge. The first is called Animal Crackers in My Soup. The second is called Beware the Ides of March. I hope you enjoy them. If you can guess the subject matter, you're on your way to becoming a 1001 history expert. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to the 1001 History Challenge. Are you up for the challenge? In today's story, titled Animal Crackers in My Soup, we'll share the incredible biography of a child actress who was loved by millions and who left an indelible mark on the world of entertainment as well as the world in general. If you're over 50, you already know the answer. If you're not, you're going to meet a really talented young lady who is a complete natural in front of the camera and who could sing, dance, and entertain as well as anyone who ever graced the stage. And when she outgrew that, she became the U.S. ambassador to Ghana and later Czechoslovakia and achieved a world of good in that arena as well. And one clue that reaches across the age divide, she was also the only actor, actress, that had a drink named after her. She was born April 23, 1928, and began her film career at the age of three in 1932. Two years later, she achieved international fame in Bright Eyes, a feature film designed specifically for her talents, and the one in which she would sing the song she's best remembered for, On the Good Ship Lollipop. By 1934, she was making $1,000 a week at age six, a fortune in those days, and she was a major celebrity. She received a special Juvenile Academy Award in February 1935, for her outstanding contribution as a juvenile performer in motion pictures during 1934. Film hits such as Curly Top and Heidi followed year after year during the mid to late 1930s. The phrase, Animal Crackers in My Soup, is actually the title of a song that she sang at the age of seven in the movie Curly Top. In every bowl of soup I see Lions and tigers watching me I make them jump right through a hoop Those animal crackers in my soup When I get hold of the big bad wolf I just push him under the rum Then I bite him in a million bits And I go pull him right down When they're inside me where it's dark I walk around like Noah's Ark I dump my tummy like a goop With animal crackers in my soup She became close friends with President Roosevelt and especially First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt and was often seen at informal gatherings with them. 
One memorable moment came during a picnic and fundraiser in upstate New York when the precocious seven-year-old actress practicing with a slingshot and some acorns scored a direct hit on the first lady's rear end as she was bending over the buffet table. What was most amazing about her was the fact that she wasn't spoiled. The actors and actresses who worked with her all respected her ability to stay on cue, and her ability to dance was phenomenal. Bill Bojangles Robinson, definitely one of the best tap dancers in the business, worked with Temple to perfect a tap dance up and down a set of stairs in the movie The Little Colonel in 1935, a dance in which her role was to mimic his routine with extremely difficult steps by anyone's standards, and she learned it and performed it perfectly with a minimum of takes. She and Mr. Robinson became the best of friends offstage, and he was often seen pushing her around the studio lots in her go-kart. When she left acting, she was the recipient of numerous awards and honors, including the Kennedy Center Honors and a Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award. She's 18th on the American Film Institute's list of the greatest female American screen legends of classic Hollywood cinema. She got her start in foreign service after her failed run for Congress in 1967 when Henry Kissinger overheard her talking about Southwest Africa at a party. He was surprised that she knew anything about it. She was appointed as a delegate to the 24th United Nations General Assembly in 1969 by President Richard M. Nixon, and she became United States Ambassador to Ghana from 1974 through 1976, appointed then by President Gerald R. Ford. She also became the first female Chief of Protocol in the United States and in charge of arrangements for President Jimmy Carter's inauguration and inaugural ball. She served as the United States Ambassador to Czechoslovakia from 1989 through 1992 and was the first and only female in this job. It was there that she bore witness to two crucial moments in the history of Czechoslovakia's fight against communism. She was in Prague in August of 1968 as a representative of the International Federation of Multiple Sclerosis Societies and going to meet with Czechoslovakian party leader Alexander Dubček on the very day that Soviet-backed forces invaded that country. Dubček fell out of favor with the Soviets after a series of reforms known as the Prague Spring. She was stranded at a hotel as the tanks rolled in, and she sought refuge on the roof of that hotel. She later reported that it was from here that she saw an unarmed woman on the street gunned down by Soviet forces, the sight of which stayed with her for the rest of her life. Later, after she became ambassador to Czechoslovakia, she was present in the Velvet Revolution, which brought about the end of communism in Czechoslovakia. In February of 1980, she was honored by the Freedom Foundation of Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, along with U.S. Senator Jake Garn, actor Jimmy Stewart, singer John Denver, and Tom Abraham, an American businessman who worked with immigrants seeking to become U.S. citizens. Her name, Shirley Temple, is further immortalized by the cocktail named after her, although she found the drink far too sweet for her palate. Shirley Temple Black died at age 85 on February 10, 2014, at her home in Woodside, California. She'll be remembered by millions for her contributions to stage and screen, as well as her public service. She left us a number of quotes. My favorite one was, I stopped believing in Santa Claus when I was six. Mother took me to see him in a department store, and he asked for my autograph. 
Thanks for joining us at 1001 History Challenge. Are you up for the challenge? return with Beware the Ides of March right after these sponsor messages. And now, our story. Welcome everyone to the new 1001 History Challenge. This is your 1001 Stories Network host, John Hagedorn. And we're going to pose a few questions up front first to see how much you know about the phrase Beware the Ides of March and then answer them all in the story to follow. Are you up for the challenge? What are the Ides of March? From what event did this phrase come? What famous playwright actually crafted the phrase Beware the Ides of March? And two bonus questions, the first being How did the month of March get its name? which will be answered in the story, and the second question, what, at least according to some, were Caesar's last words? And that one will be answered at the end of this episode. We can thank the Romans for a number of things that are near and dear to us in our daily lives, our English language, the days of the week, and the months of the year, including March. The Ides of March refers to the middle of the month of March, March 15th to be exact. And March comes from Martius, the first month of the early Roman calendar, and it got its name from Mars, the Roman god of war. The Romans had lots of gods prior to their conversion to Christianity in 313 AD under the rule of Emperor Constantine, who issued the Edict of Milan, which established the path for Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. By the year 44 BC, Julius Caesar had pretty much become the dictator of Rome, which had been set up originally to be a democratic republic, and his quest for power had left a number of senators angry enough to plot his demise, which they did. Caesar was stabbed to death at a meeting of the Senate. As many as 60 conspirators, led by Brutus and Cassius, were involved. According to the Greek philosopher Plutarch, a seer had warned that harm would come to Caesar no later than the Ides of March. As legend has it, on his way to the theater of Pompeii, where he would be assassinated, Caesar passed that seer and joked, Well, the Ides of March are come, implying that the prophecy had not been fulfilled, to which the seer replied, Aye, Caesar, come, but not yet gone. This legendary meeting is famously dramatized in William Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, when Caesar is warned by the soothsayer to beware the Ides of March. The Roman biographer Suetonius identifies the seer as a haruspex named Spurina. Talk about reading the tea leaves. Spurina earned his fame and notoriety by reading the entrails of sacrificed animals in order to predict the future. In ancient Rome, the Ides of March were equivalent to our March 15th. Brutus was Caesar's closest friend, which led Caesar to say, 
as Brutus's knife plunged into his back. A too, Brute? Meaning, you too, Brutus? Words which were Caesar's last words, at least according to Shakespeare, as presented in his play, Julius Caesar. Thanks for joining us at the 1001 History Challenge. Are you up for the challenge? <laughs>